enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. We welcome you to join us in a study of God's Word today. May God open your heart and mind as you listen to the eternal truths found in His Word. Today I want to share with you the story of Jonah. Now the story of Jonah is, is a story that's four chapters long, and it's one of those stories where if I just preach on a section, I can't really preach on a section without telling you the whole story, and the whole story is going to take quite a bit of time to read, so it's just one of those times where I, I, I hope you've read coming in today, or feel free to open up your Bible to the book of Jonah and just kind of follow along while I'm preaching. I won't mind that at all, but I'm not, uh, I've decided I'm not just going to stand here and read for like 15 minutes to make sure we get the story and then recap it for you. Uh, I just want to kind of tell you the story. You see, the story of Jonah begins with, and I, begins with the word, um, the Hebrew word vayahi, which is a word that means, and it happened, or same, so it came to be. It's a word that uh, in the history of, of the Hebrew writings is a word that's often used for stories. It's often used to try to say, hey, I, I'm about to tell you a whole narration, something, something. Go. And it doesn't show up in the stories of the kings. It doesn't show up in, in the history text. It's its, it's, its own beginning. It's kind of like if I were to use a modern word for it, I, I feel like that word that, uh, that, that means, uh, and, and it once happened or it came to be, is like saying, once upon a time. When we say once upon a time, we know what's coming. A good story. A story about humanity, about people. A, a story that probably has a moral or at least some people that we can identify with, that we can learn from. It's a story that's probably going to have some grandiose pictures and things that are happening, but that's okay. It's all part of this wonderful story that still is going to be important for us. And that's kind of how the book of Jonah begins. And we can kind of keep that in mind as we hear this story. Jonah is a prophet. And Jonah is called to preach to a place called Nineveh. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Nineveh. When you hear Nineveh, think of a large urban city. Now, now Jonah explains it as I see it so long, took three days to walk from one end to another. And that's a pretty big city. Rather than trying to measure that out or something, the point of that is to talk about this is one of the major cities of the area. <coughs> and and what, is, what is our normal opinion about large cities? In particular, the further you get from a large city, how do people talk about those large cities? <laughs> so, so, like, you know, here we are. Portland, we can talk about Portland, we're only like eight minutes away, you know, we have some, we can talk about what we do in Portland, whatever, we can talk about Portland. But if you go up to the county, you're going to hear entirely different opinions about Portland, or, or, or us talking about Boston, or, or New, New York, or, or whatever the case is. I, I remember a story one time, I was visiting my, uh, uh, my grandfather, my, my aunts and my uncles on, on the property in Indiana. Now they live out in the country, they have their own 10 acres, uh, so they have a town address, but they're not technically within town limits. They're just within, like, that's where the mailman goes, so that's why they have that town on their address. They're out in the country. And I remember them talking and going on and on about how bad a city in Indiana had gotten. And they were just talking about this city, Gary, Indiana. 
and how terrible it was and how, how crime-ridden it had become and, and on and on and on. Now, if you're not from that area, and, and I wasn't at the time. I was just visiting. I didn't know anything about Gary, Indiana. But Gary, Indiana is on the northwest corner of the state. And they basically called it a suburb of Chicago. And which is just another way of saying it's as bad as Chicago. Just, again, that large urban city with all the problems that goes with it. And I remember being shocked when I heard that. I had never heard of Gary, Indiana in any light, except, except in the musical The Music Man. <laughs> That's where I heard of Gary, Gary, Indiana, Gary, Indiana, Gary, Indiana, my home sweet home. Right? Oh, it's a great place. It's a wonderful place. Oh, no. No, it's not. Now it's a city. It's a terrible place. Nineveh is nothing like home sweet home. As the capital of Assyria, the nation that would conquer Israel and stop just outside of Jerusalem, the the nation of Judah, just barely stopped from taking them over. It is far more than a symbol of urban criminality. It is a sign and symbol of oppression as well. When they talk about wicked Nineveh, they're not just talking about who they are because they're a big city and all the crime and stuff there and all the bad things that they do within the city. They're talking about this is, this is the symbol of oppression for their people. Nineveh is to them in Judah right now what Rome was to first century Christians, what London was for 18th century Americans, what Berlin was to a 20th century Jew. What Moscow is now to a 21st century Ukrainian. Nineveh is the symbol of evil. Nineveh represents the seat of the worst of the worst. Nineveh. Can anything get worse than that? So the Lord calls upon Jonah to go there, to this place, to Nineveh. And Jonah, of course, doesn't want to at all. I've just told you how bad it is. He thinks, Nineveh, go there, uh-uh. Now, he's heard, he's heard what God wants before. He's a prophet of the Lord, but not Nineveh. God's got to be mistaken there. It's like when we hear something like, oh, well, we know God says love our neighbors. Yeah, we get that. We get, but not this guy. <laughs> God doesn't know how bad this person is. So Jonah runs away from that call, right? <coughs> Jonah escapes on a boat. And he gets on this boat, and he's sailing on the Mediterranean Sea. He's now going west. He's going the opposite direction. Nineveh is an inland city, so he's going away. And, and, and when he's out on sea, all of a sudden things start to get a little bit scary. The wind starts to pick up. The clouds roll in, and they get dark. The waves start to get bigger. This is one of those moments when uh, he starts saying, eh, we probably should have went back to harbor a few hours ago. <laughs> this is one of those moments where, where it gets scary. But what happens here is, is uh, we start to see a picture of the humanity of the sailors that he's with. You see, Joe, they, they, they have called upon people to say, hey, start praying to your gods. We got this storm coming. We got to do whatever we can to get out. Of and they're working as hard as they can. And now these sailors are not people of Judah. They're not followers of the Lord, and so, but they have, they have called upon people nonetheless to pray, and they would do that all the time. It's why the various pantheons of the different faiths of the region had like a god of the sea. It's who they would pray to 
whenever they found themselves in a spot just like this. But the story shows them doing everything they can to bail water, to sail, to, to, to go forward. But where is Jonah in all this? He's hiding in the bow of the boat. He's not doing anything. These, these sailors, these outsiders, are people who are actually praying. These people are also practical, though. During this time of crisis, they're open, they're willing to pray, but they're also humane and willing to help. They're doing everything they can to help. But Jonah, the prophet, Mr. Religious, when he's called upon, he's in the bow of the ship. His faith can't be counted upon when the storm is coming. He's not going to pray, let alone act to help. In this story, his own piousness, his own faith is kind of called, called into question, isn't it? Indeed, I think if we're listening to this book, as we go through this story, we're going to learn that kind of inner piousness that doesn't care for those outside is called into question again and again. And these sailors are people who would be seen as those on the outside, but yet they are the ones working as hard as they can. And they're willing to pray. And Jonah is not. Jonah just says, just throw me off the boat. It's over with. My life is done. He just gives up. And, 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 in, the first, and in the story, at first the people say, no, we're not doing that. Come on, man. Let's get with this. Let's, let's, let's do what we can. But finally, he implores them again. My God's mad at me. I ran from him. If you want the storm to end, if you want to sail, just throw me over. And after imploring them to do so, they throw him over the boat. The story of Jonah is a story of downward descent. It's a story of starting off somewhere well and getting worse and worse and worse. In the story, he, when uh, he's told to go to Nineveh, instead he goes down to Joppa. If you, if you you've kind of trace the language of movement, after he goes down to Joppa, the city at the, at the harbor, he goes down to the ship. And at the ship, he goes down into the hold. And then finally, when he's, when he's thrown overboard and he's, and, and he's swallowed up by a great big fish, he says in his big poetic kind of uh, language to talk about what has happened to him, he says, I went down to the land whose bars closed on me forever and ever. This land whose bars closed down on me is a poetic way of talking about his descent to the very depths of the deep waters. Those bars would be the ribs of the fish that swallowed him. He is, he is, he is now in this, in this enclosed new place. He has gone down and he has sunk, and there's no further than he can go. Can things possibly get any worse for Jonah? In this poetic description, he ends up saying near the end, but deliverance belongs to the Lord. Deliverance or salvation, that, that word in Hebrew is, is Yeshua, which translated in G, uh, in, into English becomes Jesus. When, uh, uh, when uh, the Lord says to Mary, you're going to give birth to a son and you're going to name him, actually says this to um, Joseph, you're going to name him Jesus. You are going to name him the one who saves, God delivers. Uh, this, his name embodies the very salvation of who God is. And so this is a part of his prayer. He's at the very deepest, darkest, the depths of where he could be. Can't get any worse than this, but our Lord is known by his deliverance. And so something amazing happens. This fish spits him out onto the beach. I know it's a big story, 
People ask all kinds of questions. What do you mean a big fish? Do they mean a whale? What do they mean here? I don't know. It's a big, I know it's a weird story to look at. But remember, this, this, this story begins with the phrase, once upon a time. It's okay. We don't give Geppetto and the story of Pinocchio that much of a hard time. And so, you know, like, that's okay. Let's just go with the story here. So this fish spits him out. And we find that uh, uh, there he is on the beach. He's like, okay, I guess I'm going to go to Nineveh now. And so Jonah makes his way to Nineveh, the city that he was called to for the first time. And he goes there and he gives his sermon. And it is the most lackluster, pathetic sermon you've ever heard. It's just seven words. He says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I did it. <laughs> He's done. He, I mean, he has the most poetic description of his demise, of his own experience and his own need for deliverance and where he is and how bad things are. But when it comes to Nineveh, he can't even bother to write a sermon. Imagine if I came to church today and said something like this. Hey, guys, God loves you. You need to repent, follow him. And all will be good. Thanks, I'm going home now. Like, you guys, you guys would be like, wait, what? <laughs> guys back there would be like, uh, I have nothing to put online. <laughs> uh, the board would be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this really what we expect out of a pastor's sermon? Everyone else would be saying, did I really get out of bed for that? Like, like, like what's going on here? I mean, this is the most lackluster, pathetic sermon I've ever heard. And I was a freshman religion student. I mean, this is just terrible. And yet God has a way of working even with the most pathetic, even with uh, 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 the most lackluster performance. God has a way of utilizing obedience even when there isn't much heart in it. Now, of course, that isn't an excuse to, to not put work into something because uh, Jonah is not kind of the, the person we model ourselves after in this story. But God can still do amazing things. There was a female theologian I got to hear at a conference who told the story of her salvation. She was in college. She was, she was not a believer. And she was in her dorm room. And there were a couple people who were going by knocking on doors. And they were knocking on doors. And someone knocks on, on her dorm room door. She opens. And they wanted to say, hey, I want to tell you about God and that he loves you and that uh, you can pray for your forgiveness and God will be with you and he will save you. Would you like to pray with us? And now she was one of those where she said, I did not feel comfortable closing the door in their face. I did not feel comfortable. Just, I didn't feel comfortable lying to them and saying, no, I'm all set. I, just, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do. And so I figured the fastest way to get rid of them was just to say the prayer. <laughs> and so... She said, God, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me and help me to live forward in your grace and in your love. And, 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 and that was it. And she says, amen. And then, and then they left shortly afterwards. And she said, and something weird happened. And it wasn't like the words were magical or something like that. But God met her where her prayer was very lackluster. Met her where there wasn't much heart in it, but yet... She found herself saying, I want to know more about this God who offers salvation. I want to know more about this God who promises to be with us as we continue on. And this story became very central to her becoming then a theologian of the church. 
It's like the story we used to hear. I, I heard it most often in the 90s when we would have Gideons come and help speak at the church, and they'd tell stories of those little Bibles that they would put in hotel rooms or wherever they would get them. And often the stories of those who'd open up those Bibles and have their lives change were people whose minds were not in the most clear state of mind, if you understand what I mean. Like a lot of those stories are people who, they, even as they open it and look into it, their, their heart is not as set for reading it as you might expect. But yet, God has a way of breaking through the fog that sometimes we create in our minds or, or those stories, those testimonies that the Gideons would share. God has a way of cutting through that and working in the midst of people, no matter how high or drunk they might have been when they first opened that Bible. Again, this isn't a lesson, and uh, we can get by with minimal work and minimal effort, and God will just do His thing. But it's an example of being faithful to God, even when we say, I don't know if I have much to contribute. Jonah preaches, and God moves. And this, of course, calls into question the whole motivation of God's people against other people, against the cities, against the outsiders, against the non-believers. Once again, just as with the sailors in the boat, Nineveh is responding better than Jonah ever did. And this whole story allows us to see there are some amazing things that God is doing outside the walls of the church, outside our expectations of where God would work. This is a word against us whenever we say, well, I don't know if I can be faithful to, to the gospel. I don't know if I can tell someone about Jesus. I mean, it makes me too uncomfortable. You know, if I, if I do that, I might actually have to change some things. I might have to change some of my own habits or practices. I'd have to get out of my own comfort. To listen to God means even my faith isn't all about me. I have to get outside of myself and pay attention to the people that sometimes I desire very greatly just to keep at arm's length. For a people content with sequestering ourselves into our own castles, just abiding by and living our own lives, just leave me to my thing and I'll just do my own thing, people who want to just kind of like be left alone, we find ourselves saying, man, can it get any worse than this? God wants me to go outside of that and actually like interact with people. But yet that is indeed his call. And Jonah is not happy with this at all. People are starting to change. He's angry. He remembers what Nineveh has done. He remembers what Assyria has done. He remembers everything that they represent. And so he decides he's going to just watch and see what happens. This is what we do when we're bitter. Upset over someone about a possible change or a possible transformation. Instead of helping them, I'm just going to watch and see what happens. I know they're going to fail. I know they're going to mess up. They always do. I'm just going to kind of watch and say, yeah, this is all temporary. It's not a real change. I'm just going to watch and see. And this is what Jonah does. He sets up his little camp. Uh, this isn't going to last. God's anger surely is going to come later on. So he sets up his little tent up on a hill. He's got a nice little view, and he just watches. And God, in that moment, for whatever reason, has a little compassion on Jonah. But then again, this whole story is about God having compassion on people who don't deserve it. And a plant grows up and provides shade. And we say to ourselves, oh, wait, 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 a plant grew up that fast? Wait, what, what? That's okay. And it started with once upon a time. Same thing happened with Jack and his beans, too. So anyway, this, this plant grows up, offers him shade, and, uh, and he's like, ah, oh, this is it. This is great. Uh, I did my job. 
I'm no longer on the fish. I told them they're repenting, but it ain't going to last, and I'm still going to watch them burn. And he's just waiting, and he's bitter, and he's angry. And then a worm comes and eats the plant, and the plant falls over. He's like, wait, what? And a hot wind starts to blow, and Jonah's just absolutely miserable. He's like, wait a minute, this was supposed to be the best resting place. This was supposed to be where, where I was, where I could just see how things are. And he realized things have just gotten miserable. You see, what he's done is he's told someone the good news. He's told them what he expects. But then he just let it go with that. He kind of just washed his hands of their life afterwards, as if Pontius Pilate was an example we were supposed to follow. And so he says, oh, you know, I'm done. I did my job. And as Christians, when, when we have shared our faith, like this is, this, this is a continual thing. We don't just get to watch and now see what happens. Or, or particularly when it's someone that, man, we, we don't know if we like or we don't know if we want to be around them too much. They're kind of scary. They're weird. They're, they're whatever. Or they've insulted me before, whatever. But once you see, hey, God is starting to move in their life, the call for us is discipleship. Not, not uh, watch and see if they crash and burn. It's to get involved and to help, and Jonah's nowhere near doing that. As a prophet, he's not continuing to guide those people. He's just sitting back. And when the worm and the wind come, he starts to get upset. He starts to get angry at God. Oh, I'm miserable. I should just die. I'm thinking, man, you're still in a whole lot better place than you were when you were in the fish. But he is, he is just, oh. And the last couple verses of this is, 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 is God saying to Jonah, should I not have pity on them. The Hebrew word for that is, um, should my eyes not leak? Can't I be moved to tears for people who need salvation? I, I remember one time uh, visiting a church and uh, we, were praying at, at the, we, we were praying at the altar. I think it was before service started. Maybe it was after service or something. But uh, there was a lady who was praying next to me. She's just bawling her eyes out, just bawling. And, um, and this was a prayer. This wasn't like, like an altar call, life-changing uh, altar call prayer. And so I, I remember being surprised. I mean, she's just she was crying. But anyway, I was more surprised afterwards when the prayer was over. She got up, she gave me a hug, and she said, I'm sorry, I just pray with my heart. <laughs> and I thought, wow, wow. I mean, she had more just kind of heart for the broken, heart for uh, life and loved ones in her pinky than, than like I, I show anywhere. And like she just, it was just who she was. And I love that. And God says, should I not be moved to tears? Not have pity on who I'll have pity on. Jonah here sitting under a plant that's fallen over with the hot wind thinking, oh, can this get any worse? And God says, but can't things get better? Can't I have grace here? And this is where the book ends. It's the most unusual ending because the story is supposed to end with, with, with the great news, but it just ends there in a kind of like expectation with, with, with that rhetorical question God leaves lingering in the air. Can I have pity on? Can't I be moved to tears? Can't I love those like Nineveh? And so the question is raised for us as people in the church, as, as followers of God, as people who, who proclaim that we are indeed His people. He says, where have we been called? Where does God want to work? Where is it hardest for us to believe that the call to love our neighbor extends there? And God says, can't I be moved to tears? Can't I have pity on them? And we are invited indeed, like the woman who prayed right next to me,
that day. To just kind of enter into the love of God that we might also be moved to say, okay, the grace of God does indeed go where the grace of God wants to go. And it doesn't bother me at all the big terms and the big examples that Jonah uses in this story to tell us and get us there. It's absolutely right. This is the very character of God that he finds where people need salvation, says that's where I want to be. And he invites us and calls us to go there as well. In a moment, we're going to pray. I'm, going to, I'm just going to ask if, uh, if there is, or there has been, uh, indeed, areas where you have felt, hey, this is, this is perhaps where God has directed me before. This is perhaps someone whom God has, has asked me to open my heart to before, but, oh, I don't know if I want to go there. That's okay. God helped Jonah realize you can go there, and let's be surprised at what God is going to do. And, we're, and, I, and I think if we, uh, we just go and ask and present ourselves before God, and say, God, where are you going to lead me to perhaps give a word of hope to someone around me? Let us be surprised what God is going to do and how he might indeed invite us to be engaged in their lives. I know one way, an easy way this month that we are going to be looking at how we can help people outside of us is uh, alabaster offering, this, this church building placed on our altar rail, a way in which we remember again and again God's grace goes to areas and countries that don't have means to build churches like this. And we want to help them. And so that's going to be one way. I know this week we have opportunity to invite people to be a part of the life and, and the fellowship of the church. This Saturday, we can invite and be a part of that. But I suspect there might be ways in which God could speak to our hearts and say, here's a life that I still care about that you can help share the good news to. And let's be surprised indeed by the grace that God offers and what he's able to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story of Jonah. Lord, uh, I'm... I'm impressed and surprised again and again by these holy scriptures that communicate so clearly your character, your love, and your grace, even when your very people are not that great. And one of the things I love about scripture is it doesn't sugarcoat things, it doesn't try to make people look to be better than they are. It recognizes that sometimes the story of Jonah is our story. Sometimes we haven't been as faithful as we could have been, or we've run away, or we've said, I'm not, I'm not going to be your ambassador. I can't be. And the sight of that, and this, the thought of that, makes us think there's nothing worse. But, Heavenly Father, my hope and my prayer today is that you would help move us to tears. You would help us, Heavenly Father, pray with our hearts and see indeed that there is a world that desperately needs you and just invite us into that work. Lord, you know each of our lives and where we are at and who we uh, interact with. And Lord, to think that there are ways in which in everyday interactions we might be able to say, the grace of God be with you. And Heavenly Father, I thank you that you would help us to be faithful in that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. Our website also includes instructions for subscribing to our podcast so you can have a message delivered to you weekly. May God bless you abundantly as you serve Him today. Thank you.